Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the world-famous Arcade Comedy Theater. You guys are in for a treat tonight. We have a live recording of a podcast. It's Brian Gray's Talking Shop. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Brian Gray. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for coming out. Obviously, this is the side to be on. Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast where I, Brian Gray, dive into my guest's relationship with their work to learn why they love to do what they do. Uh, soon to be holding the Hanukkah mug tonight is Arcade Comedy co-founder and 20-year improv veteran Jethro Nolan. Don't come out! Don't come out yet, Jethro. Everyone makes that mistake. I have to do these intros better. Uh, I first met Jethro soon after he moved to Pittsburgh uh, with his lovely wife Christy, another amazing improviser, and uh, and daughter in 2011, and started attending improv jams downtown. Uh, a few months later, I asked him to join a team I was putting together called the Imposters, and I really got to see uh, how just wonderful an improviser is, and I-, I think we just became better friends through that process. So without further ado, I'm so pleased at the opportunity to sit down and talk shop tonight with one of the most accomplished improvisers that I know. Uh, so please now, welcome to the stage, Jethro Nolan. <laughs> Jethro, I really, I've had so much fun preparing for this interview and Thank you, you. Uh, and learning a lot about you. Like, for example, in the late 1990s, you were on the Limburg Babies. Uh, yeah, someone knows who we are. Uh, being directed by Del Close and performing mm-hmm. one of the last improv forms that Del created. Uh, I have to imagine that that had an influence on your work. Um, what, was, what was Del's process like at that stage in his life? Uh, the final stage in his life? Uh, uh, well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, Just, mean, I mean, I should say that I, I think his career was varied, and so, like, at yeah, at that at that point, whatever it may be. I, I mean, Dell, Del, it's often been said that Dell was like a film festival that, you know, like 90% crap and then 10% genius. <laughs> uh, and and there certainly are that those aspects of him, because he was dying of emphysema when I had him in class. And, you know, you'd be doing a, a scene, and then he'd walk off into the bathroom and cough for 20 minutes oh. and then come back and give you notes on the scene that he didn't see. <laughs> it was like, no, I've, I've seen that version of that before. Uh, wow. I wish he totally has. Uh, uh, but he was incredibly open to any possibility and, and, and infused everything that happened with meaning. So there's a, there's a woman named Melanie Blue who just kind of popped by one day after class. Um, and he, she was a, a sort of a favorite of his, and he said, you know what, you're here while I'm teaching this class, we're working on a form, and he stuck us together, uh, and she did, we did kind like, of... Like arm- she had her play with you guys? Yeah, yeah, uh, so, so we, we did, yeah. we were kind of the, the first group at I.O. to kind of have a level five graduation show, and the first act was her doing Armando, mm-hmm. uh, so she would be the monologist, and then we would, we would improvise with her, and she was 
an intense and unique performer. <laughs> um, there, there was, there was a, a rather famous Armando, famous like anything that happens in improv is famous. Um, <laughs> improv famous. For, for Im yeah, improv famous uh, night where shortly after his death, she had been given some of his ashes. And she was the monologist in the actual Armando on Monday nights. And the show ended with her preparing to shoot up his ashes because of course. Hey, that's what one does. <laughs> um, so she, she was, she, I remember there were like nights when she would like get in real fights with the audience. Not like, you know, fisticuffs, but, uh, you know, verbal abuse towards the audience. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting. Uh, and then the second act, <laughs> the second act of that show was us, and it, we did sort of a double monologue thing where, and again, it just happened by accident in class one day where two people, we were doing a, a, a form that involved somebody doing a, a monologue uh, before a group of scenes. And two people came out, and he just said, no, we'll just both do monologues. He, he was not... He didn't have that, oh shit, we broke improv <laughs> moment yeah. that, that yeah. we all frequently have. So that, that's something that, that really opened my eyes uh, in terms of, yeah, there, there's, there's never a reason to deny what happened. Like, if you walk on stage and think, oh, all right, in my mind, I'm going to have a suave entrance and I'll be the guy in the velvet <laughs> jacket. And what, but then you trip on the edge of the stage. No, fuck it, you tripped on the edge of the stage. That's, that's, you're, the, you're the suave guy who keeps screwing up <laughs> and yeah. make, roll that into the scene. So to, just to be open to whatever happens. Like if somebody has you know, a heart attack in the audience, well, at that point you should probably stop. <laughs> Call <show>. but, an <laughs> ambulance. Uh, and that actually happened to Christy <laughs> at Boom Chicago one time. There was okay, a guy. Right. But I don't want to blow all the bits for uh, talking shop with Christy, <laughs> with Christy Nolan. Actually, no, maybe I do. Maybe I do. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so, but, and more so even than in scenes and scenes, like he was just very much like, I assume he didn't kind of force interesting things to happen. Like, so most of the time you guys were just working on whatever you had worked on. You would just be working on monologues or whatever. But then when someone came in, he'd be like, let's see what, what can happen now. Yeah. Or was I, I it mean, like every week new stuff was coming no, in? No, no. He was just very, he was very open to the sort of pure essence of improv, which is whatever happens is part of your, is part of this piece that's happening on stage. Yeah. And, we, we frequently put sort of mental boundaries around, okay, this type of thing that happens, yeah, that's part of the, the form or whatnot, but this other group of things that happen, no, no, that we'll exclude those. Uh, and he, was, he had a boundaryless appreciation of improv. And, and for the same reason, he also loathed it when people you know, wrote in advance or prepared in advance in their head because it was like, all right, you're not improvising, you're, you're writing. You're just writing in the most procrastinating way possible. <laughs> how, how does that eventually build into... Uh a form that we now know and understand and do every week, or does it really not? Did it always kind of grow and change with well, him? Well, I mean, the the for the for the Lindbergh Baby show, the first half was basically an Armando with Melanie Blue um, mm -hmm. uh, as Armando, so that was a pre-existing form. For the for the double monologue thing, it was just hey, this this happened one time where people. Uh, two people went out for this monologue, and then so we'd each do kind of a monologue, and then there would be these scenes that occurred. So you and I would go out to do a scene, sorry, to do uh, monologues, and then we would start a scene immediately after the same two improvisers. Uh -huh. And then occasionally we would have these pop-ups, I recall, where somebody, it would be like pop-up video, but we would have like, uh -huh. an interesting fact. Nice. Uh, and yeah, It was the it, 80s. It was the 80s. No, it was, <laughs> it actually was the 90s. 90s. It was the 90s. Uh, but which really, I guess was when pop-up video. You know, the it. 90s were really just the sequel to the 80s. So Ooh. it really was. Controversial words from Jethro Nolan. That's right. Uh, 
You have, uh, I will soon be off of this topic, but you've said of your time on, on the Lindbergh Babies, uh, we didn't always see eye to eye, but that provided a great learning opportunity for me to be even more open to other people's perspective. I, I think that's very uh, uh, noble of you. Uh, did you feel that way at the time, or have you since kind of developed well, that? that I, I mean, that, that, that's sort of hindsight glossing over my past. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, we, we were a group that had taken level five together at I.O., and that's really all we had in common. Mm. And th there, were, there were some interesting relationships and fissures. Th th this was not like a self-selected group of, hey, let's go on vacations together and really hang out <laughs> all the time. Th I mean, Most people go on vacations with their th teams. <laughs> I mean, there were the, the really amazing Herald teams at, uh, in Chicago, like Georgia Pacific was uh, a legendary one, that they, they would go on vacations together. They, they were a really tight-knit group, uh, and I'm sure other, others as well. Uh, but Lindbergh Babies were never quite – there was always kind of a, a tension uh, and I remember some wonderful backstage fights that, that happened. Uh, but I, I think we we really worked as a group probably for that reason. Like, we were mm. more interesting as a group because we had, you know, different is, groups of people. Who, is creative tension or, like, interpersonal tension? Well, uh, mostly creative tension. Mm. I, there weren't, like, people sleeping with each other. And, sure. Well, I mean, there, probably there were, but they were. <laughs> they, were they, they got Unrelated. married. They got married. <laughs> uh, um, my... Uh, Hands down, my favorite part of, of preparing for this interview was discovering uh, a little slice of the internet called Jethro Nolan's Sparse Webarium. Very nice. A, uh, <laughs> Still up and available. Thank it you, is Tripod. A, this is a tripod site uh, full of ads and last updated in 2001, which I <laughs> recommend you all check out. I had a great time on it. Um, on this site, you list your comedy influences, yes. which may have changed, I don't know, since 2001, but most of them, uh, Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, to name, there's more on there, mm -hmm. um, are, are stand-ups. Um, is is stand-up a big influence on your improvisation, or I guess just you as a comedian? Well, I mean, I I, I grew up dur in the during the comedy boom of the 1980s, mm. uh, which, and my parents had HBO and did not supervise me very much, so... Humble brag. Uh, yeah, whoa. <laughs> Cable TV, folks. <laughs> Not just basic cable either. Uh, so I watched a ton of stand-up comedy when I was um, pretty much uh, starting in like 1984, 85 onward. So that was my exposure to the comedy world was, hey, this is what I, what I have access to in suburban Arlington, Texas. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I knew. And obviously I discovered improv the same way a lot of people did, watching Whose Line Is It Anyway? And then I learned to hate it and loathe it. Uh, <laughs> just oh. like all of their... No. Um, so I, I didn't, you know, get my feet with, with improv until college. So my my view of comedy had been based on uh, stand-ups and Monty Python uh, prior to that. So I do think, though, that the... Um, we were just talking earlier about your... Uh, maybe not as much high status, but probably high status from those guys, and, and also certainly the verbal wit. Like, I do feel that, like, reading through that list, I'm like, oh, yeah, makes a lot of sense that he, you know, came from this background of that, that type of stand-up. Like, do you feel that that still um, informs what you think is funny, or is a lot of it grown? Uh, I don't want to say grown, sorry. Uh, has a lot of it changed, uh, like, now you look to improvisers or whatever, is it all just part of the comedy mishmash that is what you think is funny? Because you're right, I mean, I don't know of a lot of, like, comedy or improv uh, role models outside of the few improv famous yeah. improvisers. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think 
good quality comedy is good quality comedy. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the, the sort of street fights that people get into for long form versus short form. <laughs> like it's yeah. good. What's good comedy is good comedy. And I certainly have my bias towards, oh, clever comedy is even better, <laughs> even though fewer people enjoy it because it requires too many references and stuff. But uh, Better people enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Like higher quality people. That was all just a joke, folks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, have you, I'm just, this is me being vaguely interested. Have you done stand-up before? Uh, I've done uh, some stand-up. Uh, I, I did stand-up for a little, for a little bit in Chicago, but mm-hmm. never, never with the same sort of intensity and, and maniacal follow-through that I've done improv with. <laughs> it's a great phrase for you. Um, in uh, October of 2002, mm-hmm. you and uh, Chris Deese, this is half the Jethro and Christie show. Maybe I should yeah. have you together. Uh, you and Christie mounted a husband and wife comedy show mm-hmm. with sketches, monologues, and improv called The Science of Love. That's right. Looked That's adorable. Uh, horrible, horrible title. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, you had already spent years at that time performing together in Chicago and Amsterdam. Uh, would still have years in front of you at, at mm-hmm. LA and Pittsburgh. Um, what, what do you think it's like to perform with someone you know so well compared to maybe others you've been on teams with here and there or just generally? Well, I mean, I, I think, I think, you know, my, my preference is to perform with somebody, people who know me because mm-hmm. they're more likely to get where I'm going or, or grab a move that I do that is way obscure and, <laughs> and, and be able to pick up on it. Uh, I feel sort of more, more free to take risks in that scenario where if I'm improvising with somebody I don't know or whose history I don't know, then I'll probably play it a little bit more yeah, uh, well, it's certainly there's a difference between someone who knows you. Like, I think I know you, but I haven't no. been married to you for however many years. That's right. Yet. <laughs> That's right. Watch yourself, Christy. Once, once, once the state of Pennsylvania once allows Once a sense of pain in Pennsylvania comes to their senses. No, I, I mean, Christy, Christy's a tremendously talented performer. Uh, Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that I uh, found attractive about her. Um and she she's she's also she's also very good at calling <laughs> calling me all my bullshit, which which is something that I really uh, sadistically enjoy, um, because I I, I I screw around a lot and every, I I do need to be taken down a peg uh, uh, with increasing regularity. Uh, and she she's very good about. Are we still talking about improv? Yeah. No, um, just, uh, I'll I'll let, I'll let you know when we start. Lovely. Uh, I want to. I want to talk a bit about your just your your work on stage. So when people think of Jethro Nolan, they, as we've been talking about, usually do, do people think of Jethro Nolan constantly? Uh, uh, I'm not sure that's true. They, uh, they think of your intellect first. I I think most often. So James Leary, who performed with you in college, Chicago, and L.A., mm-hmm. told me um, Jethro is smarter than a person should be. Great quote. <laughs> Uh, and I noticed too that because um, I do a creepy amount of research, you're, the, a lot of the books you read uh, can be summarized as like pop science, literary classics, mm. well-written science fiction, like yeah. the kind of science fiction that's all not just about weird inventions. Um, more than like just I'm reading A is for acting or whatever. What is that book called? Uh, <laughs> a is for acting. <laughs> a is for I, an I, actor prepares. Uh, like. uh, or, yeah. or like improv books and yada yada. Hold on, hold on. Let's <laughs> let's all see if we can listen to Stanislavski rolling over his grave. Acting for dummies. Um, a is for acting. So I guess uh, is it is it important to you? So so I think this comes out in your work. Is it important to you in in other people you see or in the work you see that that um, to to know. 
a, a lot about other kind of non-improv topics to be kind of a smart person? Well, I'm, I mean, I, I am incredibly insecure, so it's very important <laughs> for other people to know that I'm smart. Uh, <laughs> and, and Jill Benjamin, who performed with us in Chicago and, and at Boom, uh, like sort of called me out on it one day, and I was like, it, it was just this crystal clear, like, you know, Jethro, you don't have to constantly show people how smart you are. And I was like, oh, that, that really hit in the tarpaulin. <laughs> Uh, but she was absolutely right. Um, but I, I mean, I also am just fascinated by the human mind and how it works. Mm -hmm. And my, my uh, bachelor's degree is, is in psychology, so is I... Is it really? Yeah. Um, See, I read your book list, but apparently didn't get your resume. <laughs> no, that's okay. Well, I, I went to school to become a chemical engineer, and then I fell in love with improv, and was like, ooh, I'm going to pick a nice, easy major <laughs> that will allow me to focus on improv as much as possible, and psychology, uh, ooh, a bachelor's degree in that. That's totally useful. Um... So, but yeah, cognitive science is a, is a tremendous area of interest for me, um, and it's just something I will I will continue to pursue, uh, just in terms of understanding how the mind works and how 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 our brains drive our behavior. And I think I mean to spin it the other way from Jill, I'll uh, disagree with a person I've never met. Mm -hmm. uh, not disagree with her. I'm sure that was absolutely right. But but I do think that what I've noticed a lot is is just esoteric topics come up, and you'll be mm -hmm. able to spin out details and sometimes I'll even come up after you and be like is that a real thing and you're like no I made that up yeah. but, I, but then I don't know because yeah. sometimes you will come up with facts that are so accurate uh, like the ones I know and I think that's a really great skill to have yeah, that's well, not a question but. Well, no no well, but it, it does speak to the point of like you know Focusing on more than just improv, because the worst thing you yeah. can do as an improviser is just have only read Truth and Comedy right. and and all the other improv books, <laughs> and only have that group of references. Like anyway, Sharna was it? <laughs> oh, your suggestion was uh, the French Revolution. Sorry, <laughs> Sharna wasn't there, but I bet Sharna would have said like like that. Uh, right. Sharna Halpern is an <laughs> improv yeah, talking about this. Like everybody's like, yes, Sharna. Mm -hmm. Why don't I just do a mime mug when there's a real mug <laughs> right here? Because he lives and breathes That's improvisation. Right. I also have a sec second mime. Uh, while you better. take that real sip, um, uh, but I do think also your your knowledge exceeds just learning stuff in books. So, uh, Christy Nolan, the second star of tonight's podcast, uh, has said Jethro is always the smartest guy on stage. I'm always amazed at some of the moves he sees uh, way before I see them, which I can definitely second uh, from working with you. Um, and I, I kind of just want to get into how, how this works for you. Like, is this something where you're um, instinctually, you just kind of see the pieces come together on the back line, you go in for those moves, or are you is your brain kind of ticking away when you're on the back line? Like, what's the experience like for you on, on stage, on a, probably a larger long-form piece or something when you're maybe not in that scene at that moment? Well, to the extent that I'm the smartest guy on stage, that is only because I... Don't go out there when smarter people are on stage. <laughs> I seek out dumb people to improvise with, is what I'm saying. No. Thank you. Thank You're welcome. you. You're welcome. You're doing a great job. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I, I've, I just love long-form improvisation and have done a ton of it. And uh, I, I'm, try, I'm trying to exclude, like, anything special about me and just saying that it's just a product of, the, of how many cycles I've gone through with this stuff. Right. And, like, w when I was in college, we ended up, uh, I don't know if this is a piece of your research that's going to come out later, but when I was in college, we ended up going to see Second City Touring Company in Waco, Texas. And after the show, I was like, oh, I'd love to talk to those guys, because we'd never seen long form, uh, yeah. and they were the closest. They just did their regular show, but we, they were the closest. we just read Truth and Comedy, so we were like, we thought we knew how it worked. Sure. 
and we were, went out to get a beer afterwards, and the only place in Waco, Texas to do that is a Chili's. So we nice. went to a Chili's, and we were... Uh, casual dining. Yeah, ca we were dining casually, <laughs> and uh, as one does. And then uh, about 20 minutes after we got there, the Second City Touring Company showed up because they also wanted a beer, and they were in Waco, Texas. And so we went over and chatted with them, and they gave us uh, Sharna Dell's number. And uh, in the touring company at that time were like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, so that we were sort of shooting. Really? Them. Yeah. Wow. Very, very. Excuse me. Just drop that name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we drove. So my improv troupe, which had way too much time on our hands, we we rehearsed like three nights a week for three hours a night. Yeah. In college, because we, I guess, we're not busy having sex or <laughs> whatever else one does in college. Little things. Um, and we drove up, did a, a workshop with Dell and Sharna, and then on the drive back down, we literally just improvised in the car for 25 hours straight. It yeah. was disgusting. Um, <laughs> but it was just one of those things where, like, I cannot get enough of this. That's amazing. Um, so that, that's, that's the, if, if there are moves that I see or things that I do, it's merely a product of, of my obsession with it and the fact that I've done a shitload of it. Yeah, it's, it's that, special. when you were talking before with Dell, where he's, like, out coughing his lungs out and it's like yeah. he's still seen those scenes before yeah yeah just doing a lot it, it is really fascinating and intimidating for those of us who are still 10 well, years behind you well i uh, i mean well fortunately Actually, intimidating is the wrong word i'm like i'm in it anyway but yeah, still yeah. uh it's still great to know that that just kind of happens yeah, yeah so. but then you get to be 40 and you're like i'm good at making stuff up <laughs> oh what you you have actual achievements dollar okay. sir <laughs> uh <laughs> That was mean. Uh, I also just had, was fortunate enough to perform with you um, last weekend with Dinner with the Nolans. That was this Wonderful weekend. Wonderful show. That was this weekend. That was Friday Is night. It sun it's Sunday. <laughs> it, feels like, it feels like time flies that when is you're a dick with move. old friends. That is a dick move on my part that I do frequently is I'll correct people <laughs> on stage. Like I did it earlier tonight. Like, oh, Van Gogh's not in the Renaissance, you idiot. <laughs> Look how smart I am, everybody. I read books. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but Mark Bailey loved it. He did. He did. Um, that's a. Sorry, I just dropped that name. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> before the show, you were talking about how uh, we we tend you you tend to like that show to be start out with a longer scene. It's grounded and mm. realistic. Yeah. Uh, whether or not we did that, <laughs> not related to this podcast, but um, I, I do think you you tend not to go to crazy town at least first like you'll go there if that's where it's going but you'll be you'll be more grounded you you will play characters and stuff but is is that also is that just kind of part of that show or is that more core to your philosophy as well like let's yeah well, I, I mean so my my sort of introduction to improv and everything a lot of it because i didn't have access to uh you know seeing improv because the only improv that existed in college St station texas when i was there was the improv my group was doing mm. And we didn't have a lot of influence and everything, so I sort of drank the Second City wine, and, and Nichols and May were... They, there was, like, a great American Masters uh, special with Nichols and May, and sort of saw them, and I bought their albums and listened to them over and over again. And that kind of became my template for, oh, this is what improv is. This is They're smart, they're verbal, they're witty, they've read the books. <laughs> uh, and then when I went to Chicago, uh, Second City was kind of like the... the it, like, one of the reasons we have these bentwood chairs at the Arcade Comedy Theater is because I had, like, it, we were in a meeting when we were planning stuff, and I was like, guys, we, um, we kind of need to have Bentwood chairs. <laughs> I, I, like, I'm not kidding. Ab ask Abby Fudor. She'll be I like, oh, yeah, it. Jethro's kind of obsessed with those chairs. Because uh, those are the chairs that Second City had. So that, nice that very much, uh, uh, you know, makes, frames my understanding of improv and what it is. And when I see other things that are not that, like Groundlings, is a totally different approach to improv, and it 
took me a lot longer to sort of come around and begrudgingly acknowledge like, oh, okay, what they do is okay, I guess. <laughs> uh, because I have a very uh, rigid definition of what good improv is in my mind. Yeah, I, I understand that. Um, so speaking of what good improv is, like when you, so now you, where you're off the back line, you're in a scene, so maybe just when you start a scene, like what is the, so usually the way I, I ask this, it, it's hard because probably you're not in your mind thinking mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. thoughts like this, but like what's the first thing that you want to be taken care of or maybe if you're coaching or teaching, like what, what do you see in those first few moments that you're like, you know, are, are you focus on game, relationship, premise, or none of that matters? Like what, what is it that you is core to your scene work? Well, I mean, a lot of it is just, particularly in, the, in, the, in a long form context is, what does what does the show need? Mm. And maybe it's been a slow show, and it needs some energy. So come on and be really loud. I mean, I, I, I am that most <laughs> most scenes. Uh, but it's what uh, the show always needs. Yeah, yeah, it really, it really is. It need more Jethro. That's what it needs. Um, be surprised. There's a lot of Jethro deficient shows out there. <laughs> most of them. One, I one, argue. one, one show at a time. I'm trying. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that that's sort of what does what the show need at that point? I also will try to check in with my scene partner. Um, and at, the more I watch improv and, and teach improv, the more I'm convinced that you know the most important thing is this sort of emotional connection between the two people on stage and things like object work and have I named you? Like those are all kind of beginning improviser, like have I checked off, okay, I, we're in a location and we have a relationship <laughs> and they were good. This must be good improv because I followed the pattern. And, yeah. that, and that's certainly a great way to start, but uh, for me, uh, I'd rather just have an intense emotional connection in some way with the other person on stage. Uh, and, and how, so I know there's like millions of different ways, but like mm -hmm. if you were to go out, because uh, so, we're gonna do some improv, but like mm -hmm. what are some ways that you would use to create that connection Outside, so obviously, probably eye contact. Um, but are you are you making a choice at the top, or are you? I, I would I would I would try to make an emotional choice at the top mm -hmm. about how do I feel about the situation, the, the other person on stage, and and hopefully try to express that in as few words as possible. Or 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 not even you know explain, just be like, oh, salad. <laughs> yeah. Damn salad, Brian. And we'll figure out why I'm so miffed about salad. And, it, and it's Love always it. anger, by the way. That's the only emotion. <laughs> I should point that out. There, there's one emotion, and it's anger. And there's really only three levels. Very angry, very angry. And also, oh, by the way, there's only one level. <laughs> uh, before we get away from uh, this specific talk about your work, uh, as we've brought up before, you've seen just a whole lot of improv. You've done a lot of improv. Um, do you have a, a favorite kind to watch, or maybe favorite's the wrong word, like, you know, if you are traveling to Chicago or, or LA, like, what shows do you go see? Uh, well, I mean, any shows that I can get into is <laughs> high on the list because I'm a shallow Because you're blacklisted. Yeah, exactly, from I really am. Uh, that's right. Well, I was a communist, and that happened. Um, <laughs> I, I love, that when I was in Chicago, the best show that I, one of those shows that just, I mean, I'll preface this by saying that I could go to, like, you know, Venice and go see an opera there mm -hmm. that I've never heard before. And if somebody came up, uh, Mr. Nolan, we need somebody to, to sing in the opera. I would be like, <laughs> I'm game, I'm game, I'm game. I, I do it. 
I, like, and I wouldn't even be surprised that I got tapped your on the shoulder. Question, I'd be like, oh, clearly yeah, you've heard of me. Yeah, your first question wouldn't be, how the do you know my name? non-opera singing <laughs> man who only speaks English and knows nothing about opera, you'd like me to come? Okay, very well then, very well then. You just want to be on stage. I, I really do. Um, but but one of those one of the shows I saw in in Chicago when I was uh, living there that really just made me angry at how great it was was JTS Brown, mm. and it's uh, a, a legendary show with a lot of people that were sort of from my cohort, which is another thing that sort of dug into my ribs. <laughs> oh, why the? Oh, I guess I'm an asshole. That's why people. <laughs> um, which is kind of true. Um, but JTS Brown was very fluid, and their whole uh, mantra was no sweep edits. And they're probably not anybody who's going to listen to this, but uh, if anybody from JTS hey, Brown is listening to this, they're true. probably like, that's not our <laughs> mantra. You know nothing about it. <laughs> uh, but they, everything uh, sort of transformed dynamically. Uh, mm. And those types of shows that don't take that break. Because when you're, there's a sweep edit, like, okay, somebody sweep. Now let's all have a breath. <sighs> improv pause. <laughs> and let's get back to improvise. Like, there's none of that in, in those sort of dynamic transformation shows. And there are a lot of members of that, like um, uh, Pete Rose and John Lutz and Rob Janis and Dan Backadall did a show called Foursquare that very much mm -hmm. had that same uh, dynamism to it. Uh, and they've done various iterations of that. There's a lot of great shows and a lot of great improvisers who um, whose names I could totally mention, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, Gene Villapique, Bob Dassey, everybody? Yeah. You guys? Christy's laughing in the back. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you were 10 years younger and lived in a different city when I did, then you'd know those names, too. <laughs> you'd and know you'd be these duly, guys. duly impressed. I mean, they're, 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 one of, they're improv famous, though. I mean, they're really sure. fantastic improvisers. I knew, I knew some of those names. Yeah. Uh, that's great. So yeah, so that I, and I love that idea too. That uh, just so it's not that the motion is constant, but that we're never letting ourselves. Like the first time I did a duo, I felt that like I don't have that time to sit back and breathe. Yeah, um, and I don't know if that's part of what is appealing to you. About it absolutely that. is one of the greatest exercises I did uh, when I was taking class at I.O. was a three-person herald, and it really oh, wow. forces. It really does not allow you any brain time. Like it's not like <laughs> yeah. oh no, you're never you're never not involved because even if you're not on the scene that's happening then you're clearly responsible for editing. So it's, it's just a very, I mean, it forces you to get out of your head and, and stay in the moment as much as possible. Uh, so speaking of exercises, uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about coaching. Um, so, because I have been coached by you, it was great. Uh, recommend him. Uh, but when you sit down to work you've never asked me back. <laughs> <laughs> I did it once in my library, and then you and Greg were like, oh, thank, we're good, thanks. <laughs> As never, you never mentioned once. previously, you're kind of an asshole. Oh, yeah. uh, that's true. No, it was great. We don't rehearse that much. Right. Um, fair, fair point. It shows. Uh, <laughs> uh, when you sit down with a new a new group to work with, uh, what like obviously there's some give and take what they're working on and stuff. But like, what are your usual kind of goals as a coach, or what what do you want to like, how do you see that, that role as a coach and you as a coach? Well, I mean, there, there's diff differences between a, a teacher, a, a coach, and, and a director. Like, mm -hmm. a, a teacher is somebody, hey, l let me take you and help you further down the improv path of, of the skills that you need to learn. And then a, a coach for a regularly performing team is, let me get you as an ensemble to gel 
as, as much as you can and, and explore and discover as a, together as an ensemble rather than as you know, eight individuals. Mm -hmm. And then from a director perspective, it's like I'm putting together a show and you, you need to make, you know, it's my responsibility to make this the best show possible and whatever I have to do to the actors to, to make that happen is a completely legitimate. Not the phrase you were looking for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, sorry, I can <laughs> No, no. Um, but my, my biggest thing is, is just this basic idea of, of everything is improv. The stuff that you plan is uh, part of the improv, but also the stuff that you didn't plan is also part of mm -hmm. the improv. So there's no boundaries. You don't, get to, you don't get to say that, hey, this little object work thing that I did, that was improv, but this accidental thing that happened over here wasn't improv. I, there's, and, and it's so tedious to talk about, it. hey, there was a game of make em up I played one time that I'm going to tell you about, <laughs> like it's really significant. I but mean, I, we're I, sitting around for an hour talking about <laughs> improv, so... <laughs> People are, people are like, oh, this is an hour <laughs> I was not aware. I've already lost interest. I'm just For being the record, polite. the first one to look at the clock was Jethro. Right. <laughs> right. I was expecting to see myself over there. Um, uh, th there was a scene I was doing with uh, Sarah Hennessy, a, a college friend of mine, and you know, I did some object work where we were in the kitchen and I grabbed a bowl or something, and then she did object work and grabbed a bowl from a totally different location. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, fine, we can... We can ignore it, or I can call it out as a mistake, which I do nine times out of ten. Like, <laughs> you don't even get your bowls in the same place I do. Uh, but it, it later informed our scene. Like, we were a couple who, like, clearly was having so much issues that we didn't even store our stuff together as a unit. Uh, so it's just getting, when, when coaching, I want people to get to that point where they're open and observant enough that they can accept whatever comes. Because... A, a very common thing among beginning, and, and not even just beginning, but like uh, a lot of improvisers is, oh God, I gotta, I gotta worry about what's going on with me and what's happening with me and is there enough stuff going on the stage and nobody's responded and, and inner monologue, inner monologue, inner monologue. Uh, and to just get people calm enough to know that if I, am, if I watch you enough <laughs> and pay enough attention to my scene partner, then I'll find something that I can build on. Uh, I'll find something that will inform the scene. I'll find the closed legs and the closed arms and the closed mouth and there's a closed body posture so he doesn't like me. He's judging me. Uh, you know, just, just something to react this to. This is just how I said. Exactly. It's no, true though, no. but in, you know, that, that makes no. a lot of sense. Um, do you feel like, see now unconsciously I've just yeah. opened up. I didn't, no, that's, it's, that's it's done now. Uh, so, and it sounds like a lot of that is definitely influenced by the Dell stuff we were talking about yeah. earlier. It makes Absolutely. a lot of sense. Do you think that you, that in, in the, you know, well, I don't know how long you've been coaching and teaching, but in the, the years since you've started that, that some of that philosophy has grown or changed? Um, or is that kind of, maybe you've just gotten better at it? Uh, I, I mean, in terms of my, my coaching or my performing or, or both? Oh, any of those. I don't oh. know. Yeah, I was thinking more of your coaching and, and teaching. Like, how, how do you feel like you've, you've gr grown or changed over time? I don't know. I, I, I felt like one of the things that, as I started to coach in Chicago, coach Harold teams, and then eventually taught, I, I became more comfortable with the idea of, of allowing myself that same sort of discovery uh. and experimentation and didn't think that, oh, here are the, here are the you know, six exercises we're doing today to teach object work or whatnot. Like, just be more open to, hey, this, this group is having, really having a problem with this particular type of interaction or dynamic or this. So let's create an exercise that deals with that. 
and, and sort of inventing exercises on the fly. And some of them work, some of them don't. But just giving myself the freedom to say, hey, let's, let's try something. And, and just you know, allowing myself to try and fail as a coach as well as an improviser, I think has really helped me be more at ease uh, as a coach and improviser. Uh, I promise we're about to do some improv. I just have uh, one this more. This is all scripted, by the way. Question: I want to get to because uh, so within the past uh, three-ish years, you've moved from LA to Pittsburgh and started with a few mm-hmm. co-founders, the Arcade Comedy Theater that we are at tonight. Um, uh, so, just if you could let us know a bit, like what is it that excites you right now about Pittsburgh comedy and this space and everything that you have going on here? Uh, I mean, I. I and was delighted to see what existed from a comedy perspective when we came to Pittsburgh because I, in my visits to the city previously, my Christie's from Pittsburgh, so mm. we've been back for holidays and whatnot, and I had not really been aware of much of anything existing. And that's not to say that nothing existed, it's just I wasn't aware of it. Uh, but when we made the decision to move here, um, we were pleasantly surprised by... <laughs> Uh, we're getting a lot of feedback at the theater, and that's good. <laughs> a lot of positive feedback. Some just the, the electronic kind. Uh, we're, we're pleasantly surprised to see that you know F and I uh, had existed for twenty years, <laughs> and and the, the Improv Jam had been going strong, and the, you know the Steel City Improv Theater. There was a lot going on, uh, and that was fantastic for us. And then when we opened the arcade, I think one of the one of the things that's been pleasant is to sort of see the kind of cross pollination between a lot of different disciplines and having a variety of different types of comedy happening. So it's not just... One of, the, one of the things that kind of irked me about Chicago when I was there is there were, there were people who did short form, and they only did short form. Mm. Here's, here's where we go to do short form. It, it gets segmented, and I think yeah. that that's sort of toxic to innovation and creativity, that we want to take... We want to get your chocolate and my peanut butter, so to speak. Um, that, that was not supposed to be sexual, but it kind of... I had a follow-up question, but that is just the perfect transition into Jethro and I doing some improv together. Yay. Let's get our chocolate in each other's peanut butter. Um, it's usually not how that expression is phrased. We're, we're going to do a montage, right? Okay. Um, I'm asking you, but yes, sure, I'm, I'm let's agreeing. do it. I'm agreeing. After what we talked about, I think I'm, I'm definitely going to try to... Uh, this, is, this is a gigantic font, by the way. Do you know yeah, how hard is it is huge. to read? Some of it depends how much text is on the uh, is in the question. Sometimes I I have a lot to say. Um, anyway, I'm definitely going to try to play some verbal, not so outside of my wheelhouse. High status might be a little more. Uh, so my goal is to play like Jethro. We're going to see how it goes. Um, try to play very smart. That's a little. We'll see. Yeah, because you're an idiot with your not, I play computer smart. science degree from Carnegie Mellon. You're really the kind of smart you play. Uh, this will be great fodder for afterwards when we see how terrible this goes. Hi, everybody. We are <laughs> we are introducing ourselves. That's the name of our group. <laughs> uh, we're going to improvise at you, and we would like to begin with. A verse from the Bible that isn't Jesus wept. Are you asking them specifically to repeat a verse, recite a verse from the Bible, or like make one up? Either one is fine. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thank you. Samuel, Paul, Paul Emil, 
I uh, don't be uncomfortable. Have a drink. I, I will. I thank you. But I am uncomfortable. I should say that up front. I can see it in your standing. <laughs> you normally, you normally recline. I do. I do enjoy a good reclination. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Would you like a drink as well? I've already had three. Very good. Very good. Samuel, I, I find it, I find it distracting that you're stroking your cat this entire time. I, I just have to say. Would you like my cat to go unstroked? No, I, I, I just have a very serious conversation with you, and it's going to be difficult if you get a. She has an attention disorder. If we leave her alone, she goes crazy and starts attacking small rodents. That's normal cat behavior. What? No. All cats Our cat psychiatrist told us it was a detention disorder. <laughs> we pay her top dollar. Well, there's an economic incentive then for her to continue to find disorders in your cat. I hope you see this. Are you insulting my cat psychiatrist? Yes, I'm insulting you for being duped by a cat... Cat psychiatrist is not even a thing, I don't think. You walk into my house wearing my suit ah, yes. and drinking my booze you and tell that. me what is or is not a cat psychiatrist? I'm sorry. I, uh, I just... I, 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 this is not going well. Let yourself out. <sighs> ah, I'm sorry about the suit. <sighs> If you're gonna, do you have something to change into? I don't. No, I don't. Please. But I feel no. Don't guilty. It's a bridge too far. Do you have a hanger? I just don't want to put this down after wearing it. I, I, I should get it cleaned and return it to you, clean. <laughs> but I just there was an, an immediacy to my need to take it off. Ah! Talk, talk, talk. Gin, gin, gin. Put on some pants, Bartholomew. No! If you want, you can wrap yourself in my wife's silk robe. It's from Japan. <laughs> there they call it a kimono. Do they? <laughs> they do. <laughs> Thank you. Put the Are cat you? down! Are you fucking Put the cat down! down. I'll show you where the kimono is! And you insult me to my face in my house wearing my underwear? Where did you get my underwear? I got it from your underwear drawer! They're monograms! I know! That's how it's easily identifiable that they're yours! Samuel, did you come in here to show my underwear off to me? No! Because you are. You wear that well. You, I was wearing your... Thank you. I was wearing your suit. You got mad about that. Why the hell are you here? A pear tree. Its leaves are falling in my backyard. <laughs> I wish you would do something about it. Help yourself to a pear. I don't. I, I don't care for pears. <laughs> to tell me about my pear tree, you came up into my study, first stopping off at my bedroom. <laughs> Changing oh, your clothes. That's, that's where you're wrong, that's where you're wrong, that's where you're wrong. I had your clothes at my house. Yes.
challenge you to a duel. <laughs> Choose your weapon. Step aside, I will choose mine. No, I have both. No, you both. <laughs> thought you were double fisting them. That's not how that phrase is used, I don't think. I. Are you coming into my study, wearing, holding my weapons in my underwear, and telling me how to use the phrase double fisting? <laughs> yes! Yes, I am! Samuel! Segwaying into something about about business. How do you like the ending of Breaking Bad? <laughs> Was it satisfying you? Well, everyone died. Not every, what you, one person died. Well, one good person died. The criminals, like we knew, they were going to go down. Well, I mean, if you look at the season as a whole, the series as a whole, most people died. Many people died. I asked you about the finale. <laughs> which Hank died like a couple episodes earlier. It's a monthly. Am I, am I about to get shot? <laughs> would, I, would I answer that yes? In what scenario do you think I honestly tell people they're about to die? What have you got to lose? 
good worker. I value you. Well, if you, sh I mean, by telling me, not by shooting me. Oh, no, but if I told you, then, you know, you would have an opportunity to jump out a window? You, well, you, you're really thinking it through. Listen, you're not going to get shot. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you, I don't know what you do. I have your letter opener. I don't have your letter opener. I was gonna say, I don't even know where my letter opener is. <laughs> I get no mail. It's, I mean, I do, it's bills, ads. You get those uh, flyers for the Pittsburgh Opera? Yes. God, they mail me every month, it seems. I know. I went one time. I know. Uh, Habitat for Humanity, I gave like one year. Oh. On behalf of my aunt, right? And they keep sending me stuff. Now, I wanna burn the places down. <laughs> Yes, I will do that. No, 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 reading into it. Uh, uh, well, you know what, yeah, I got to take the other day. Go ahead, go ahead. Find a habitat, find a poor family, burn their home down, and then, then mail them a letter that said, oh, have you had your house burned down? Well, blame Habitat for Humanity for sending us so much fucking junk mail. Excuse me, boss. Yeah? Uh, seems a couple weeks ago you sent one of the guys to burn down a poor family's house. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I did do that. I did do that. We, uh... I'm worried about you in your old age, Bob. You worried about me? Yeah. Used to be all about drugs and... Hey, hey, I still love drugs. Selling them. Oh, the yeah? Coke. Snort that mountain of coke. You don't tell me what to do, right? Well, if you want to prove to the family that I'm not going to kill you with this letter opener, snort, snort that mountain of coke. Let me ask you something. Battlestar Galactica, were you satisfied when they found out I was Earth the whole time? And they were like our ancestors? I was, that bothered me. I was a little disappointed with the fifth Cylon, for sure, after all that buildup. Because they said that everybody on human, everybody, every human is descended from this Cylon-human hybrid, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, but that means that if everybody's descended from them, then they had to wipe out all the people who were on Earth. So why it have to be Earth anyway? My big, wait a second. You're just doing this to avoid snorting that mountain of coke. All right, I'll snort a mountain of coke. If you want me to snort a mountain of coke, I'll snort a mountain of coke. Half your meetings, we've had this room bugged. Half your meetings are you debating the endings of popular television shows. <laughs> They're not all that popular. I'm not debating how popularity of these shows pop. You're getting soft. I'm You're supposed soft. to do business in here. You're supposed to talk murder and coke. Murder she wrote. Did you ever see that? Angel Lansbury. She's a fox. She is she still a has it. Huh? She has it. She never lost it. She, she was, it came along and stuck to her. Do you ever think halfway through that you're, she's not going to figure it out? I think it'll be every time. time. Oh, you know what? If Angela Lansbury were around here, I would be in jail. Years ago. Oh, yeah. you know, I forget what I came in here for. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Staring at the sea all night. Yeah. It's still there. It's not gonna go anywhere, Margaret. It does. It goes out. But it always comes back. <laughs> you seem lonely. Ah, oh, you're never lonely when you have the sea. <laughs> Why don't you come to bed? In the cabin. Is that what they call ship beds? Why don't you come to 
the ship bed. Cabin is the is the room. I think we should have sex again. <laughs> Just always looking at the sea. Michael, we came to a cruise. Cruise? Cruise? Came to a cruise. I had big expectations. You Sorry, know. Michael. I just, my head hurts. You said on the cruise, you, the fresh air you, would make your head feel better, and that's why we didn't have to have sex before we left. Michael, I'm very sorry. It's just, it's not a good time. I'm so great about this sea anyway. Nothing that sea can do, I can't do. There's literally a thousand things. <laughs> name, what, name one thing. Occupy 70% of the Earth's surface. I mean, not just this sea. Have you seen the buffet in here? It's quite nice. If I go to town, I'd occupy 70% of the Earth's surface. <laughs> Pretty fun. I definitely like after the first. Uh, I mean, it was great. You were great. I, I was. I'm trying to um, to like. I, I am bad at working hard to be high status. Like I did that the first scene. I'm like, I'm just being ornery, so I'm gonna yeah. not worry about it. Um, so let's go through a little bit. So the first scene was the um, the neighbors, the feuding yeah. rich neighbors, I mm -hmm. guess. Yeah. Um, like what when you when you came in. I, I felt like you saw something. I mean, like you, you made because I think you made you made the first line. You made my name. Like, what was Samuel. what were you thinking about when that started? Uh, I, I Do you mean, remember the the suggestion was thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Right. So I I wanted to have uh, either a a covetous feeling towards you or a confrontational because you had been coveting something of mine. So I just and I guess Samuel again because I guess we started with a Bible quote. I picked a Bible name. And Bartholomew is as close as this Jew came to remembering Bible names. Um, I, it's funny, we have the same. And name. ironically, you're the one drinking out of the Christmas mug. Ah. So, That's something the podcast people can't see. Uh, Got to come to the show, guys. Uh, I, so, and it's, it's interesting because like, I sat down and I was like, oh, I, my instinct was to like, look away. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm going to make a connection first because yeah. we wanted to do that. Um, and then I just assumed we were arguing over my wife, I guess, or someone's wife. Yeah. And then I liked that it went, like, you went more emotional about it, and somehow in my head it was just so explicit. Um, like, so I liked that it was unclear, but it was still, somehow I was just like, wife, until you made that more clear. Yeah. That was fun for me. And then I forgot that we could edit. Uh, <laughs> so I died for a while. Uh, I, yeah, I got up to be some other character. I was like, oh, we can edit this. Well, and this is one of those things, like, I, I was, I was, you know, we, you challenged me to a duel in, in improv land, like, okay, let's, th there's something that we, we do is like, ah, oh, I'm going to go out that door, except now this is in my way. I can't go out that door. Right. Oh, look at this, this thing I said I'm going to do that now I can't do because I've just made myself not be able to do it. Yeah. Like, fuck it. Go out the door. Shoot the guy. Like, Shoot your scene. I like that head. you shot. Uh, I, I, I was expecting to have a weapon, but um, it was neither here nor there. Well, again, I was trying to play it more realistically, like, if you say you want to kill me and there's two guns on the wall, why would I give you one of the guns? <laughs> that only increases the odds that I'm going to die. <laughs> Touche. Uh, uh, the next scene was the... Um, what, there was something, but what was the middle scene? 
so right that we swept. You were in a chair. That's how memorable I was standing my up. Is. Yeah, the gangsters. the gangsters. Yeah, you in the chair and the gangster who just didn't, um, uh, who didn't get that there was no that you were you were just being a nice gangster and I was. Well, it started with you going out to blow your nose. <laughs> right, that's true. Well, and then I, I would I, not have. I would have been sneezing so much. That's fine. That's yeah, fine. but see, it was an accident that became exactly. informative of to that, you of that hugely entertaining scene <laughs> that would have not happened had you not blown your nose. Uh, so there was that scene, uh, and the last film. Oh, it was up up on the cruise ship. So I so I do think it was. I mean, I, I felt like I was definitely making different choices. I think for me, it was a little bit in my head, but I had a lot of fun. Fun too, but then again, I was just playing myself the whole time. There were, that's, I, I, that's should, I, should I try to improvise? No, like that, right? no, no. That's you play like you. Uh, so let's see. Are there some questions for Jethro from the folks out there? Just and if yeah, there yeah. if there aren't, I will make them up in somebody else's uh, voice. Go to ahead, make Beth. it seem like. Before you die. Uh, let me you repeat that for this. Yeah. So for with all your experience. Uh, is there anything that you are currently working on right now? Uh, I mean, we're, I, I'm trying to make this theater continue to exist uh, <laughs> on a daily and weekly basis. So my focus is really on that. And, and it's been wonderful. There's a lot of fantastic people that have you know, popped up and, and helped out. And, and I want to see this community grow. So my focus has really been on that. And it's, it's like Chrissy and I started Dinner with the Nolans specifically so that we could perform at our own theater. Because otherwise, we just get... Overwhelmed with oh we gotta you know find an accounting system and, and we gotta open <laughs> yeah. a bank account we gotta you know buy this chair we gotta buy you know cut a new hole in the booth and all that kind of stuff and it's really easy for that to sort of absorb you so I, I did dinner with the Nolans just because a I'm selfish I like uh, and <laughs> don't, don't cut that part out of the podcast <laughs> it's very important that my wife know that I like improvising with her uh, um, uh, no but I. Uh, there's not, I, I mean, there's not a specific creative project that I'm working on that, other than the existence of the arcade, I would like to perform more, but I, I don't get cast and stuff, and I don't have a lot of free time. Yeah. I also want to be a decent father. Uh, not a great father, I want to be decent. Uh, <laughs> anytime I feel myself being too good of a father, I'm like, whoa, dial that back, save that, use it somewhere else. Gonna shoot, shoot for the uh, Mediocrity. lowest rung, That's right. and then maybe you'll do, I can't finish that joke. Mm, okay. uh, any other questions? For Mr. Nolan, yeah. Uh, so you've been coaching and teaching for a while. Mm -hmm. What is? Can you think of any particular exercise or approach to speed work that whenever you pull that out, the people you're working with think, "Oh, and a light bulb goes out." So in your <laughs> coaching and teaching experience, <laughs> you found a a great exercise or scene uh, or scenic thing that you do that um that really helps catalyze understanding for people um so there, there's a couple there's a couple things that i would throw out there and and there there are often times when i make the light bulb go out uh <laughs> 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 on people i'm coaching and, and i don't charge them that week um the, so one one thing i did uh one time and this again was a charna's suggestion was just do uh like openings are always a challenging part of a herald how do we do an opening that 
isn't just word association and gestures that have nothing to do. Ooh, racism. We're deep. <laughs> what what does this motion have to do with racism? It, it has nothing to do with it. We're going to be really intense like it does. In the podcast um, audience, Jethro is subtly moving his arms. That's right. Because like, everything I do is subtle. Um, <laughs> so we, we've done a Herald of Just Openings, which is as painful as it sounds. And eventually, like... 15 minutes into it, the the group will sort of give in to the the idea that, oh, I guess we're going to do openings for half an hour. Okay, fine. Uh, it's You have to push people beyond what they're comfortable doing. Uh, I remember Christy subbed for my uh, level three class this week, and uh, it's the beginning of the long-form portion of the arcade curriculum. And I remember I told her that, okay, we're going to do this this game, but let it go uncomfortably long, like let it go longer than feels right, to give them that uncomfortable feeling of like, oh crap, we're out of mate- we're out of gas. Like this should have ended, <laughs> like because it's important for them to to feel that way, uh, to recognize that oh I've used up all the information. If I'm going to do a 30 minute piece, then I can't you know cash in all my my content uh, at the 10 minute mark. Um, there's there's an exercise that I do, um, and you may, might have been there when I did it, um, a radio play. Turn off all the lights in a room, have people lie on the floor with their heads sort of pointed towards the center, and make them do a radio play. And that typically goes amazingly well, um, although there was a notable incident in which it did not that happened in this room uh, <laughs> several weeks ago because one guy did the most impressive job of steamrolling I've ever seen in my wow. life. Like, he would knock on the door... And then be the other guy on the side of the door <laughs> answering it. And then get a phone call from himself. It, it, was, it was really impressive. Um, Amazing. Yeah, but he's dead now. Uh, so the, the, there's something magical about the, the radio play uh, that happens. And again, you got to turn off all the lights, encourage people to lie on the floor, which in this room is, a, is just an act of bravery in itself. <laughs> uh, but it's something that people will eventually just the the anonymity and the darkness it can go 30 minutes and be fantastic even with improvisers who are not particularly experienced um there's also another exercise that i really love um involving opening a box reacting with an emotion and then labeling it immediately uh and then we'll see a little bit of scene that explains why you feel that way about that thing i mean most of my favorite exercises are are just about getting people to feel something about somebody else or, or something and, and get an emotional pump going because when and I I am the poster child for this disorder but so much of improv is just banter and oh I'm being clever and aha oh, look how I can deflect uh, things from affecting me emotionally and I would say any any exercise that that forces you to have a real genuine emotional response is a exercise that will help grow your improv skill um, that's great I'm gonna uh, wrap it up there, I think. Right. Um, I'm going to continue to sit up here and talk about my improv career for several more hours. I will <laughs> I will watch that. Uh, before we go, do you have something you want to plug? Uh, I, I, first of all, thank you all for listening to me chat about improv because I yeah, can only imagine how. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, your lovely selves. Uh, I want to I want to plug the continued existence of the Arcade Comedy Theater and all the sure. lovely work that we have. Where going can on people here. find out more about Arcade Comedy Theater? Uh, they can go to our website, which is arcadecomedytheater.com, and they can come to our physical location at 811 Liberty Avenue in the city of Pittsburgh, in the town 
of Pittsburgh. Yeah, we got it. In the sorry, I was gonna, <laughs> I, was gonna I was gonna go on bigger, but uh, then I sat down again. So. <laughs> Uh, no, I love that. If you loved this episode, please come back next month sometime. Uh, we're working on a date, um, and uh, I will announce it via my Facebook and Twitter. Our podcast was recorded in front of a live audience at the Arcade Comedy Theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, special thanks to Zach Simons for tech and production support. The uh, talented Michelle Horsley for our opening theme. And of course, Jethro Nolan. Thank you, bro. Um, if you liked what you saw here today, please, please leave me a review on iTunes. Uh, that is how anyone will ever hear this show again, if enough people are on there that, uh, that it gets in some kind of ranking. Um, or just, you know, post and tell your friends to go and listen to it. Um, and again, thank you. Have a good night. Thanks for sticking around. Go drink beer with each other or whatever we're going to do. Uh, and thank you, guys. It sounds like it's on. Yours is on. Yours is it is just on. you're picking up in mine? Should we share a mic, Zach? Like romantically? Yes. Uh, Lady in the Tramp style. We'll slowly lean into each other's mics. We're doing some shifting around. <laughs> Still wouldn't nothing. That be, wouldn't that be embarrassing? <laughs> <laughs> this is not a metaphor, by the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm no expert. I also don't know if you need to be eating the microphone yeah. quite so closely. Well, I was trying to give it the best possible chance. Of <laughs> picking up your voice. Because usually people have trouble hearing you. Yeah, that, that, that is true. That is, how come it makes it... <laughs> <laughs> Did I die earlier tonight? And this is how I find this out? Is the, this is the twist ending.